0: Hi folks, Keith Jones for Front Row Knowles. We appreciate your listening to our podcasts and all the things that uh, go into what we do in terms of watching Florida State Athletics. But we would remind you that part of Florida State Athletics is certainly Seminole Boosters. Uh, Athletics can't do what they do without the support of you and without the support of Seminole Boosters. So we encourage you, if you're not already a member, consider joining Seminole Boosters. If you are a member, consider increasing your participation. Without Seminole Boosters, Florida State Athletics is going to be run-of-the-mill. With Seminole Boosters, Florida State can work their way towards elite. And, oh, by the way, they're ter- doing pretty good on the football field. They're doing pretty good on the pitch for soccer. Uh, and they're uh, getting ready to do good on both the men and women's side on the hardwood. Join Seminole Boosters,
1: support Seminole Boosters, and continue to support Front Row Knowles. Go Knowles! Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way.
2: Hey everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. This is Front Row Knowles. KJ, I hope you and yours had a uh, very merry Christmas. How are you doing, sir? Uh,
0: we did have a very good Christmas. We are doing well. The same to the Block household and to all of our listeners. And who to thunk it? Right in the middle of worrying about a football game, uh, the attorneys get involved.
2: The attorneys, transfer portal, depth charts, all this stuff, just constantly come you know the news cycle never stops for college football at least in this month of December we'll uh we'll be joined by Bob Frantier Osceola insider later on obviously if you're listening to this show you're aware of the news uh between Florida State and the ACC also probably aware of the news with uh with Tate Rodemaker and I guess you know I'm living in in uh, a fantasy world Keith I, I do wish that FSU could could put its best team out there i.e. the team we saw play this season but that's not reality, and I don't fault any of the players that have opted out. I don't fault Tate, and we'll talk more about that in our next segment. I hate to fall back on it is what it is, but it sort of is what it is right now in college football.
0: You know, we we all,
2: particularly me,
0: uh, reacted negatively when, you know, the, the full cost of attendance started getting talked about, and then the NIL and what you're going to do and not going to do, and now the transfer portal. You know, the opt-out of bowl games, the declaring early for the draft. I mean, all of those things individually were things that I think many of us reacted to and said, I do like or I don't like. But now you put them all together collectively, and whether you do like it or don't like it or any part of it, uh, it really doesn't matter because this is the world that we're in right now. Uh, Maybe some things will get tweaked, maybe some things will get changed, Uh, dates and or procedures will get moved around a little bit. But the kids, the coaches, and then we as fans, uh, we just have to navigate in the world that's been created uh, unless and until one of us gets to be named the commissioner of college football and we can run it any way we want to.
2: Commissioner Jones, you've got one minute with your platform. Uh, Go. How would you handle this?
0: Uh, Four major conferences, 64 teams, uh, 12-team playoff, Reduce the number of bowl games, uh, transfer portals open once a year. Uh, We sign our early kids out of high school in August. Their opt-out is if the coaches change, then they get to rethink and redo their decision. And uh, we put a salary cap on what coaches can make. And we get back to uh, a student athlete amateurism type of model as best we can. I rest my case.
2: And for the 64 teams, are you just going to hand pick them? So you're going to make the. I'm
0: commissioner. I get to do that.
2: So you're going to call BC and wake and say, thanks. We'll see you in the other division? Yep. Okay. Well, that makes it a lot easier if that's how we're going to (laughs) roll. Ladies and gentlemen, Keith Jones, 2024. All right. We will. Uh, I, I wasn't on that ticket. He didn't offer me an opportunity, by the way. We'll, we'll talk during the break and see if that offer gets extended. But uh, Bob. Oh, Brandt, I, I, didn't, I didn't
0: know it was a position. I thought was, I was being king.
2: That's true. That's true. You don't need a vice king if you're king. I got you.
0: Benevolent dictator. That's what I
1: was going to be.
2: Front row. And continues right after this.
1: Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith.
2: Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. And we open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline and say hello to our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Your old bacon agency ensuring your future together, and Bob Frante and Company ensuring that we have the latest on what's going on
3: with Florida State athletics. How are you, Bob? Doing great. It's been a uh, quiet December, and uh, yeah, enjoying a lot of R and R this month uh, before the bowl game. What about you guys?
0: Sarcasm, Sheldon. Sarcasm.
2: I uh, there's a lot of directions we could go, Bob, but I think the most fresh. Way to start is to begin with the quarterback conversation, which got renewed with the news on Christmas Day that Tate Rodemaker was going to opt out of the Orange Bowl. And uh, we can talk about the ramifications and and sort of all the factors that lead to this. I feel like we I don't know if we talked about it on this show. I know, Keith, you and I at least discussed it before or after we hit record, if if not uh, while we were recording. That to me is, it it was going to be a very delicate line to walk, that you needed Tate to play the Orange Bowl while you were in the portal, basically sending an indicator that Tate's not your guy for the future because you're looking at other quarterbacks. And so lo and behold, I'm not surprised ultimately at the decision. The timing's not ideal, but I don't really find fault with with Tate's decision overall. I don't know, Bob, you want to jump in first on that?
3: Yeah, I'm in agreement. I think we'll discuss the calendar, too. But, I mean, the calendar is not ideal for student-athletes who want to transfer. It's not ideal for coaches who want a game plan. It's not ideal for game planning for the future for 2024. You know, clearly the coaching staff is looking for a bridge quarterback. They're looking for a guy who has one year of eligibility for 2024. And then who knows after that? It's going to be probably Brock Glenn or Luke Crowmanhawk. But in, in the short term, yeah, you need a quarterback for a ball game. And it's not ideal to throw Brock Glenn out there either. So I, I get why Tate Rodemaker's doing this. Um, could he have announced it earlier, could have been communicated a little bit better, maybe, sure. But this is just this is just the unfortunate result of the calendar and not being in a playoff. That's that's just the way I see it. I think the other part of it too, guys, and I hadn't really
0: processed this, but it's come out. You know, Tate has two years of eligibility remaining. If he only had one year left, um, it might have been a different situation. Uh, I think the only thing that causes me any consternation, uh, and, and it's very little, is uh, you know, if I'm if I'm Tate, I might want to have another game on on film, um, unless I've been told, you know, privately. That If I go into the portal, I know where I'm going to be headed and what my options are. Um, But we don't know, and we we will probably never know what those conversations
2: were or were not leading up to it. The counterpoint to that, KJ, would be, though, so uh, let me just walk through a couple scenarios, because some will be of the opinion that Tate knew he was going to opt out, and he decided – And uh, he was bitter. Let me burn him the, the, you know, the most that I can. I'm going to go through practice for two weeks, and then I'm going to opt out the day they're they're going to the game. I think the other side is is he had been in Tallahassee. They got a few-day break over, you know, for their Christmas. He goes home. The family sits down and talks about it. His dad is a coach and is well-connected. And they realize that his future is probably not at FSU. And if he wants to get the best possible spot out there, He needs to raise his hand and tell people he's in the portal before those spots dry up. So I I choose to think it was the latter. We'll never know. But related to an extra game, this is not like he had an extra chance to play and Johnny Wilson and Keon and Jaheim Bell and Trey Benson were going to be there. This was an extra game to put tape out there against a very good Georgia team without your weapons. And I'm not sure that that was going to help his portal case.
0: There's a legitimacy to that, but I, I still believe the more time you can put stuff on tape and 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 when you're in a situation where there's not a lot out there. I mean, Benson and Keon and and, and Johnny, they're not going to achieve anything by putting anything else on tape, but Rodemaker might have. and And so I'll stick with that and just simply say, I'm with Bob. I understand. I don't like it, but the reasons I don't like it have nothing to do with tape have everything to do with the way we're structured.
2: Well, and when you say the way we're structured, so clearly, and we talked about this last week with Fish, KJ, and I think Fish is dead on. Fish is of the opinion that college football needs to spread things out the way the NFL does. I mean, the NFL turns every dead spot on the calendar into an NFL event, right? Here's the combine. Here's when free agency opens. Here's when we're going to announce the schedule. Here's the draft. I mean, they, they eat up the calendar year round and college football has got it all shoved into two weeks in December. To me, the question is, and Bob, your opinion on this one, I, the early signing date, the high school kids, you could move anywhere and they could sign then. So you, you could clear some congestion by doing that, but for the portal and, and they did tighten it up. So there's two portal windows a year, you know, one is now to get enrolled in the spring and one is after the spring to get enrolled for the summer. I don't know how much wiggle room there is to do anything with the portal at this time of year. If guys are trying to get to their new schools before spring practice, unless you take away that opportunity and just say, look, you can transfer one time a year and it's in the month of May. I I don't know. That's kind of my my thought. I haven't given a deep thought, but that's where my head's at.
3: I think it would make sense to have a bigger window in the spring. But then again, you know, if you're a college coach, you probably want to get these guys on campus and give them a spring practice especially if you're a quarterback and you've got, say, a year of eligibility, those 15 practices in the spring are incredibly valuable for, you know, building chemistry and learning the playbook and and all that. So it makes sense to get guys in for the spring academically and then from a football standpoint. So the thing with the, the high school signee period is I think a lot of coaches aren't wild about the December calendar, but they also don't have great solutions right now. I mean, could you move that high school signing day up a week? I think that might help you a little bit just from a a logistical, what does your focus look like standpoint? But then again, you're still bringing in transfers. You're still going to have to bring in guys because that portal window can't open any earlier. I mean, you're right up against the college championship weekends already. And then you can't go into January too deep because like you guys said, you've got to enroll. And these guys are student athletes. So the calendar is just jammed. And, you know, I I like to bring up thoughts with a solution. I don't feel like I've got a great solution here. I just, I feel like it's a, it's a situation that currently isn't better. It it will likely get better for a 12 team playoff because then you're going to have 12 teams where maybe guys won't want to opt out. Maybe some will transfer, but not in as high of a number. But then after, you know, teams 13 on down, you're still going to have this issue with all of their bowl games and all their their future planning.
0: It reminds me of the age old thing and the saying, guys, uh, we're in the middle of the woods and we don't know which direction to go. Uh, We know we're in the middle of the woods and we need to go in a direction. So let's just pick one. And if that doesn't work, we'll come back and we'll pick another. So I'm with you. Uh, I would rather have and an identify a problem with a solution, but we've identified this is a huge problem. Let's just pick a solution, see if it works, and if that doesn't work,
2: we'll change it another time.
0: But we gotta, we gotta move from where we are.
2: We d- agreed. We definitely, we, it, it's not that big a sample size, but it's big enough at this point, Keith, that uh, right. we we right. Can, we can agree. Let's move the early sign. You know, when they first moved it to December, I, I thought the idea prior to that was let's actually move it before the season so kids could play their senior year worry-free and have that done. Of course, the colleges want them to get through their senior year so they can see they're still healthy and see more tape. Uh, so I don't know if the solution is move it before the, the senior year or move it back to February, where then if you're a kid signing, at least most of the coaching changes have happened already. Uh, but right now, you know, schools are changing coaches while you're supposed to sign. It's, it's just a mess.
0: Well, and, and the, I, the whole issue, the whole issue, Tommy, is the, the
2: early enrollment.
0: And you can still early enroll, even if you have a signing date in February.
2: Yeah, kids were doing that anyway, by not exactly. signing a letter of intent. Yeah. So, yeah, knows? I don't know. But, but so back to the, the portal situation, I, I wish, uh, and specific to Tate, I, I wish him the best. I, I don't. I don't really fault either side on this. I mean, Tate's looking out for Tate. The coaching staff is looking out for their best interest. If they feel that they need to get another guy in the portal to be the quarterback next year, I mean, that that's their decision. You're not, you're not guaranteed that you're going to be the starter when you sign at a school. So it's just messy as it relates to this week. So, Bob, I guess it's the Brock Glenn show, and then is it a coin flip as to which walk-on is the backup after that? I mean, it's pretty thin. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Deuce Span? I mean, where, where do we go from here?
3: <laughs> I, I think you're, you're in a team meeting room and you look around and say, guys, how many passes did you all throw in high school? And, and yeah, I mean, you could go to a Deuce span. Uh, you could go to a wildcat version of, of something. I mean, who knows it it could be a Deuce span. It could be a Ja'Kai Douglas. You could start looking at just various options. Um there aren't a lot of great options at this point. It's, I wouldn't want to put a walk-on out there either. I mean, even though you know that that guy's a passer and he can do some damage, but it, it, it's just you're not looking at really good options right now. Guys, let me make one
0: other point that's kind of uh, uh, in the big framework of things. And, and, Tommy, you and I have talked about this. We we always said that one of Coach Bowden's bigness, biggest weaknesses was also his strength and that was his loyalty. And the Jeff Bowden uh, experiment, a coordinator, and things that went on on the tail end about whether, you know, uh, a coach was going to be the the coordinator after Mickey retired or before. And so we always said, you know, Coach Bowden's loyalty sometimes got him into problems. I think one of the things we're going to find out, and I mean this as a compliment. I do not mean this as a negative, but I think one of the things we're going to find out after the fact is that Coach Norvell is so brutally honest with these kids, and will not, absolutely will not, mislead them. That Tate is a Seminole, but knows that he wasn't going to play here, and 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 Norvell either by omission or commission was transparent enough with him that he knew that. Uh, and and I want to make sure, at least from my perspective, our listeners understand. I think that's one of Coach Norvell's biggest strengths, uh, and we'll see if it ends up being a weakness with however this thing works out. Does that make sense?
2: It makes sense to me. I mean, what you're saying is the fabric of how he recruits in general. He's transparent with the kids. Exactly. He doesn't sugarcoat. Exactly. You're going to you're, you're coming to FSU. You're going to you know the four letter word is work, right, Bob? I mean that's. That's what the sales pitch is, so that doesn't appeal to some kids. But the ones who come here, uh, I mean, candidly, they've been pretty loyal. So many guys came back last year for this year's team that I really don't fault them that they've opted out at this point. Um, I, I, I hate what the narrative might turn into on this, but there's also part of me that, that has seen how much these guys buy in and leave everything on the line that, that I am interested to see how FSU competes in this game on uh, Saturday,
3: Bob. Yeah, I think we knew there was going to be high turnover, and I think we knew that there was buy-in toward a championship goal, and it, and it was toward a team that was motivated to make the playoffs. I, I think when this team – a lot of guys, when they realized they weren't going to go play in a playoff, I, I think it it prompted a lot of guys to evaluate their futures, um, not just with this team, but also, you know, where was it in the NFL? Would it be with another program? They obviously saw Jordan Travis's injury – you know, their thoughts about could I be injured in a on a football field? Um, there are no insurance policies in bowl games. I mean, we've kind of talked about do, does the bowl structure need to come up with something like that that offers a, a high six-figure or maybe even seven-figure policy that protects a player in the event of an injury it's to give a player that mindset of, I'm good to go out there and, and do my job, to do my work, and if I'm injured, I don't have to worry about my future. Um, so there is a potential solution there if the goal structure wants to, uh, wants to explore it. But yeah, it's, I'm with you. I, I want to think that this is going to be a highly competitive game and that's going to be closer than a, a 14, 15 point spread. But I, I, you know, you also see the personnel and, and you, you think what Georgia could be facing too, as far as their opt-outs. So it, it could be very different <laughs> looking teams than we expected.
0: And for the record, as of Friday, when I looked, uh, there were 14 Georgia kids in the portal. uh, And they had had no early announcements. I don't know if that's changed in the last uh, few days. But, you know, we we have a tendency not to pay attention to them because they're not our team. But they're going through similar types of things now. Doesn't involve the quarterback. He'll be back. But they got a couple of receivers that we still have question marks
2: about. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll be down some guys, too. It seems like Florida State will be down more. But who knows? Who knows? It is crazy to think, though, and we'll wrap this up and we'll get to the other big news involving Florida State, uh, which seems like old news now. But uh, FSU and, and the ACC, we'll talk about that in our next segment. The last time FSU played in the Orange Bowl was really the first year the opt-out started that I recall. That was, that was Dalvin's last year and it was Leonard Fournette opted out, but Dalvin opted in and wound up as MVP of that Orange Bowl. And meanwhile, Michigan, we're talking about the 2016 game against Michigan, their starting tight end blew out his ACL and went from a first-round pick to a fifth-round pick in that game. So, I mean, that's, that's both
3: sides of the coin in one game, and that was just seven years ago, Bob. Yeah, I remember Jake Butt, and, and Jake has written stories about it, you know, the Michigan tight end, about how he wishes his circumstance was different. Like you said, Dalvin rolled the dice, and, and it kind of built to who he was and the kind of NFL potential he was. He wanted to play in his hometown. So every guy's got to make his own decision. I do think in the end, the insurance policy, if we can figure out how to make that work within the bowl structure, would be a really good thing to, to alleviate at least the injury uh, component of maybe some of these players' fears. But um, but who knows? That's That's probably... Years down the road, and maybe not, uh, maybe not even next year down the road. All right, we're talking with Bob ferrante our Osceola Insider.
2: We'll take a break. Come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this.
1: Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios.
2: Back on Front Row Knowles. All right, so the game is 4 o'clock this Saturday. But uh, beyond the game, there's just a little bit going on with FSU Athletics. And, and Bob, I know you guys at the Osceola have been on top of this. Last week's announcement that Florida State was suing the ACC didn't really come as a surprise. Maybe the timing did for some, but I think it's been pretty evident for the last couple of years that Florida State was trying to work through challenges. They did it behind closed doors first. Then they went public with it. The ACC tweaked a couple of things, but ultimately – I don't I don't know that there were enough levers to really move to to get Florida State to where it wants to be, but general thoughts now that you've had a few days to process what Florida State uh, voted on in its Board of trustees meeting last week?
3: Yeah, I think the Board of Trustees operates on consensus and and it does operate in terms of let's do a number of one-on- one meetings beforehand, try to explain where we are, where we feel you know we're going as a board and as a university. And then, you know, in the end, you come together and you have a meeting and you vote on it. And I think that's why we saw unanimity and, and they voted in that manner. I think the other challenge is, you know, the ACC going up into Charlotte's court the day before and they've got a lawsuit. So part of this could be about jurisdiction of where do you want to have a court case here? You know, do you want it in Charlotte? That must be an ambulance chaser after ACC and FSU legal money. Um, So I think the question next is, where is this case going to be heard? Is it going to be heard in Charlotte? Is it going to be heard in Tallahassee? And then from there, you know, what are the legal grounds? What are the legal grounds that Florida State has within this grant of rights that we've never seen, uh, within a multimedia agreement that we've never seen? Um, Potentially, though, could this document come into the public light? Potentially, do we have a chance to look at this document and to see what it says legally, and truly how bound is Florida State to the conference.
0: Guys, the biggest takeaway from that time, I sat through the whole thing, what very long. I've read the, both documents, the ACC document and the FSU document. The biggest takeaway from this is that the ACC does not, repeat, does not have a media rights deal through 2036. The media rights deal as exists right now ends in 2027. And only ESPN has the option to renew it. And that option date was moved, signed by Swofford, and never voted on by the by the schools. I mean, there is a lot of, you, you want to talk about conspiracy theories and smoking guns, if or when this ever gets into a courtroom, uh, there are a lot of questions that
2: that have been raised and it will be interesting what the answers are. But in one point of clarification, it was signed originally by Swaffer, but it was Jim Phillips who apparently moved the the deadline to exercise from twenty one to twenty five for ES. You are correct,
0: Tommy. Yes, I,
2: I didn't I didn't explain that correctly. Thank you. But uh, yeah, I thought that was curious. The other thing to me, and uh, unlike everybody that's been on uh, my X feed for the last uh, week or so, Bob, who apparently did go to law school and is a lawyer. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to know the nuance of the law in either state. Uh, so this is just general observation. but the ACC was preemptive in adding these uh three schools in in Cal and SMU and Stanford, and then it comes out that because of that, even if FSU or another school leaves because the ACC still has at least fifteen schools, everybody will still be compensated the exact same per terms of this ESPN contract. So if that's the case. Where's where's the harm that FSU is causing by leaving? I mean, I would think that would be part of their argument. I, th- I found that interesting, too.
0: Well, yeah, Tommy, not to, you, not to correct you, not to correct sure. you guys, but but you, you didn't do well in math because the three schools coming in are taking lesser. So if a full share school leaves or two or three, it actually nets more money in the short term to the
2: remaining schools. Right, but I'm, I'm making the general point though, Keith. If the if the ESPN contract is going to stay uh, in whole, if you will, whether is at the table or not, then where's the harm? That's the point I'm making. Yes, I'm I'm aware of the, the reduced fees and the no fee that SMU's taken,
0: which still baffles me. That that's beyond my I can't get my wildwood head around that. But anyway, go ahead,
3: Bob. I cut you off. No, I I guess part of me keeps going back to some of the discussions we've had in the past where we've kind of said, does ESPN want to be in the business of televising the ACC, both in its current form and then in its expanded form into the future? And and you see by that, essentially, you've got a club option. You know, the old pro team, they've got a club option to pick up the ACC for whatever it is, 27 through 36. Um, What if ESPN says, no, we've got better properties. We've got all these pro sports. We've got the SEC. Um, you know naming off NBA whatever other property they've gotten in pro sports that goes against the uh, the ACC football basketball calendar if they just decide, hey, we'll renegotiate in 2027 we'll let you guys go out on the open market that might be the best thing honestly for Florida State and Clemson and Carolina, Virginia everybody else. I mean I know nobody wants to be in the conference through say the 26 football season, but it's always much more palatable. When you're not paying this monstrous impossible buyout of, of potentially 500 or more million dollars i i almost would rather just everybody comes to a consensus and says let's live with this for say three or so more calendar years and then we can all go back to the drawing board with our broadcast partners and and see what makes sense and that way florida state can say well we'll jump to whatever conference or we'll see if and this is a long shot to even say this, we'll see if the ACC even presents something that monetarily at that point is, is feasible from a budget standpoint.
0: Hey, Bob, there's a little word. I think it's a legal term. Tommy, bring out the Black Law Dictionary, the Blacks Law Dictionary. There's a little little word in there that may may make all that happen. It's called
2: settlement. Well, that's where I think this is headed. I think that's where most people think. Nobody... You know, when you get into civil cases, like 97% of them get settled, right? And right, settled. right, right. So that's just in general. And if you're talking about these kind of dollars, uh, I, I imagine that you'll have a lot of barking from both sides and then more barking from both sides. And then at same, some point, we'll hear terms of a settlement. Um, but I think FSU, what FSU's interested in finding out, are they trying to negotiate a settlement based on the exit fee from the ACC alone of $120 million, i.e., is the grant of rights enforceable? Or are they trying to start at five seventy two and negotiate that down in the settlement? I mean, that's that's what's germane to to where we go from here. I think.
0: Well, one of the other
3: telling yeah, I think things that's what we, have we to get can get do. within these lawsuits.
0: Yeah, one of the other telling things we can get down all the weeds we want to. But uh, it, did I hear correctly? But the exit fee, including rights, was somewhere around a hundred million, and Maryland was let go for thirty one. So there is a precedent.
2: I think Maryland paid 60% of whatever the exit fee was at the time that they left. So that, that's what the precedent is somewhere in that range. By the way, you know how,
0: you know how the ACC collected that money? About a year and a half before Maryland actually left, they quit paying them. They put it into escrow. Maryland basically didn't, maybe they did a little bit, but for our purposes, Maryland didn't cut a check to get out of the ACC. They just, didn't get money for 14 or 15 or 16 months, which I thought also was very interesting. All right, you're thinking about leaving. We're not going to give you any more money.
2: Well, maybe FSU will just roll up a bunch of pennies and drop them off.
0: <laughs> maybe <laughs> it May need to be nickels or quarters, Tommy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, what you got? Like I said, I don't want to get into trying to play lawyer on this. I mean, I, I do think settlement is is where this wants, you know, where Florida State and the and the yeah. league both want it to go.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, the other consideration that we've been kicking around is is that grant of rights, you know, the ACC and ESPN will not want that to be in a public courtroom. Now, potentially, I guess it could get sealed by a judge so that it does not get out in the media, get get out for fans, get out for competitors like Fox or Amazon or Apple people to be able to review those documents because that's, you have to think, somewhat proprietary, right? So is that a leverage point? You know, can Florida State try to get that document public knowing all along that the ACC and ESPN will not want that to ever see the light of day? So I tend to lean toward y'all, you know, that there, there is potentially some settlement. At the moment, it doesn't look like either side is particularly close, but I think once the lawyers sit down and, and hash it out, I'll try to figure out where they can maybe mediate this thing.
0: Hey, Bob, question for you. Tommy and I have talked about this a little bit, but Florida State signed a document, right? So wouldn't you keep a copy of your own document, even if you don't have a copy of the executed document? I'm not talking about the media rights well, deal, but I'm that's... talking about the grant rights.
3: What I understand of the grant of rights is it, it doesn't cross state lines via mail or email because of the sunshine law. So that's that's always been the thing where... But somebody you know, had to sign it the first
0: time. Somebody had to put an ink wait, on and, the paper.
3: And here's the bizarreness of all this, right? Back in 2013, when, when John Swaffer got the ninja nickname. He flew down to Tallahassee. He did these one-on-one meetings with the board of trustee members. From what I understand from talking to board of trustee members, one in particular, he said he was never given a written-out proposal. It was just John Swafford and Dean Jordan, their television network expert, and they were just told, "This is what's best for the conference. This is what's best for Florida State and the member schools." And again, we're talking about what happened ten years ago. But when you're not given any true information, when, when somebody's just providing you numbers, Well, that can look a lot different once the numbers actually truly develop with the creation of a network, which, as we all know, it was even delayed. It was promised by 2016. It was delivered in 2019. So how it was agreed to by the president, at that point, John Thrasher, how it was agreed to by the Board of Trustees members, um, that will be scrutinized. How was the amendment agreed to? Again, the original grant of rights was through 26. Or 27, whichever. Then it was extended. How was that agreed upon by the next set of Board of Trustees members? So legally, are there loopholes? Are there avenues to challenge? Because again, like you say, you'd like to have all these documents in front of you when you're making decisions. And even, you know, Dr. McCullough said it at the Board of Trustees meeting. This is not how businesses operate with contracts. It's not how colleges normally operate. Again, we all know this now but it's just how we're having to go through the pain of, is there a settlement of some sort out of all these, um, these lawsuits? Oh,
0: Keith,
2: I thought you were going to jump in again. I I was
0: just, I was going, I was going to finish with this. Uh, And and this has been talked about in a couple of different ways, but it really hasn't gotten the traction. Uh, But this is a divorce. I mean, this is, this, I I I got emotional during the board of trustees meeting, going all the way back to 91, uh, all the things that have happened over that that 30 plus years. I mean, this is a divorce. Now, on a scale of one to 10, two people, particularly when there's kids and it's a real divorce, that's a 10 or a 12. This is a business divorce. You know, on a scale of things, uh, it, you know, it's something less. I concede that. But there's going to be hurt feelings. There's going to be lingering um, uh, thoughts. Uh, There's going to be some finger pointing and what ifs. Uh, This is not just the severance of a business relationship.
2: Oh, ultimately, it's going to change the course of college football and college athletics when this is done, potentially. Maybe not potentially, just period. Bob, uh, to bring it back to the Orange Bowl, I know you and the Osceola crew, uh, you'll you'll have full coverage of the game. What what would you like to share with our listeners as we get set for Saturday's 4 o'clock kick?
3: Yeah, I think we've tried to take a look at, you know, obviously some of the the downsides with the opt-outs, but some of the positives. I mean, this is an opportunity for Brock Glenn to start. We've kind of taken a look at, you know, what Tony Tokars has told us about Brock and his development. I think the other thing that's, you know, a real overwhelming positive is Daryl Jackson's going to make his Florida State debut. And Daryl's obviously very excited. And so it's an opportunity for him. Obviously, you hope that he has a great game and that kind of boosts him toward, toward 2024 and his future. So it's not going to look like a, a normal Florida State game or a normal Florida State team. But I think there's some there's some positive developmental aspects of um, just how this team, how the players could use the opportunity to develop for their futures. And, and yeah, I'll be very curious to see how, maybe some older veterans, maybe some younger guys, get some playing time out of this and really show the coaching staff what they can do on the field for their futures in 2024.
0: And and Coach Norvell has has mentioned this and will, I'm sure, pair it and continue it, but it's an opportunity on a national stage. Uh, Somebody can make, if not a group of people, can make a name for themselves. Um, You don't get those opportunities very often. Uh, You've got to take advantage
2: of it. Bob, safe travels to you. Thanks for the great work uh, this year and that you guys continue to do. And uh, for a listener's sake, uh, if you don't already subscribe, go to com and do so. And uh, happy New Year's to you and yours, although I guess I'll see you between now and then. But uh, thanks as always, sir.
3: Take care, y'all. Happy New Year.
2: All righty, more Front Row Knowles coming up right after this.
1: Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios.
2: Back on Front Row Knowles as we uh, finish things up here, JJ, Florida State. So, so how do you? Uh, I mean, we don't truly know as you and I are talking. We don't actually know who's on the depth chart and who isn't. We have a pretty good idea, but some of the guys who've indicated their turn in pro haven't really made it clear, at least as we're talking, as to whether or not they're playing in the bowl game. We don't know who might be nicked. We don't know some of those things, Keith. So my bigger question is, if you're Mike Norvell, what, what it appears to me, and this is an oversimplification, it, it appears to me that there's going to be more parts on the defense, and you probably have a better chance to get a great defensive effort out against Georgia than you do a great offensive effort. But, but how do you manage this game? Is this empty every bag of tricks? Is this try all kinds of new stuff? Is this just do what you've been doing and, and, and fight hard and go from there?
0: I don't think you can create or install new tricks. You're going to have to stay with what you've done. Uh, I think you play it a little bit close to the vest. Uh, you pull some, you take some chances during the course of the game. In other words, you know it's third and third and sixteen, and and maybe the best course is to uh, hand the ball off and punt. Uh, but we're going to go with a double reverse or a th- double reverse pass. Uh, but certainly you don't throw everything out of the out with the with the dishwater. Um, the the bigger thing that I worry about, Tom. You and I have talked about this privately. Uh, You know, every self-respecting Florida State fan and faithful alum doesn't want to mention this. I just don't want this to be a blowout. Candidly, either way, I'm sure Georgia fans are sitting there going, we've got 14 kids in the portal. Uh, We don't know if our tight end is playing. We know the quarterback has said that he's coming back, but what does that look like? You know, I I think the biggest thing that both sides are mostly worried about is – please let this be a close ball game whether it's low scoring or high scoring but please don't let this be you know a TCU Georgia national championship game score because that's what people remember in 3 years 5 years 10 down years down the road that will be very unfair to a to a team that won 29 consecutive games that was back to back national champions and another team that won 19 or 20 consecutive games and was 13 and 0 going into the bowl season. A, a lopsided score for history purposes erases all of the great things both of these squads have done.
2: I don't think it erases it for those of us that follow the team but certainly that's what the national narrative would be KJ you're right but that's not how that's not how the coaches approach this. I mean they're not going into it with that sort of mindset uh and and it's one of the things i give norvell credit for even though you can clearly see that the playoff snub has weighed on him more than i mean he called it the biggest the most challenging couple weeks of his coaching career but but he we talk about this all the time keith he is a control what you can control all right tate's out brock's in let's go this is my team let's go play
0: his optimism and as i mentioned previously um his his transparency and his truthfulness you know uh, time will tell whether that ends up, you know, truly being his strengths, and therefore he gets rewarded by it. Or maybe, maybe somewhere down the road, he learns to, to moderate it just a little bit. But again, repeating uh, my my biggest um, compliments too strong a word, but my biggest takeaway, without having spent a lot of time with Coach Norvell personally, is simply his transparency and his truthfulness because anybody who comes in contact with him tells you that that is a consistent part of his demeanor and it never wavers. And I applaud him for it. This is
2: small compared to the big narrative you're, you're mentioning Keith, but the benefit here, there is an opportunity for a lot of guys who've not seen the field, a lot of talented guys too. I mean, it was a good class that they brought in last year and some of those guys played, uh, snaps this year but not as many necessarily as what they're going to have an opportunity to play on Saturday and you get the extra bowl practices which is not we took that for granted for so many years but it's not insignificant it's an extra string spring practice you get a scrimmage you get to reflect or uh, gauge where you are right now against one of the best programs in the country
0: plus you get kids that you know quote-unquote are red-shirting they are red-shirting but they've only played three games so they can play unlimited snaps in the bowl game if, if that is something that the coaching staff wants to do and still not burn that red shirt. Uh, so that yes, there are we mentioned it. there's opportunities, maybe not the best and perfect scenario, but there are opportunities here uh, for some people on a national stage to show and do and be. Uh, and I hope, I hope one or more of these kids, candidly on both sides of the ball, Georgia's, Georgia's kids as well. Uh, take, an op- take advantage of the opportunity that maybe wouldn't have presented itself five or 10 or 15 years ago.
2: We're out of time, folks. Happy New Year's to you and yours and to you, KJ. And we'll uh, do this again. Uh, well, I guess we'll recap the game. We'd normally do that, and then we'll do this again in our normal window uh, next week.
0: That we will do. That we will do. A very safe and happy 2024 to everyone.
2: All right. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row and